with you this morning. Please be opening them to First Chronicles. I'll be reading from chapter 27, verses 25 through 34. And I will apologize at the beginning. There's some names in here that's going to be uh, interesting to pronounce. And over the king's treasury was Asmaveth, the son of Adil, and over the storehouses in the fields, in the cities, and in the villages, and in the castles was Jehonathan, the son of Uzziah. And over them that did the work of the field for the tillage of the ground was Ezri, the son of Jelob. And over the vineyards was Shimeon, the Ramath. Over the increase of the vineyard for the wine cellars was Sabith, the Shift. Shithlamite, and over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the low plains was Balahanan, the Gitterite, and over the cellars of oil was Joash, and over the herds that fed in Sharon was the Shitrathite, Sharonite, and over the herds that were in the valleys was Shapath, the son of Adliah. Over the camels also was Abil, the Ishmaelite, and over the asses were Jedi, the Moronathite, and over the flocks was Jez, the Hegarite. All these were the rulers of the substance which was King David's. Also Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor, a wise man, and a scribe, and Jehiel, the son of Hachmani, was with the king's sons, and and Athaphel was the king's counselor. Ahithophel, sorry, was the king's counselor, and Hushai the Archimite was the king's companion. And after Ahithophel, the Jehoath, and yeah, and after Ahithophel was Jehoadath, the son of Benai. And Abathar and the general of the king's army was Joab. I've been waiting for weeks. <laughs> waiting for weeks for that. All the while, Bobby's giving me trouble. I'm just thinking. Here in a couple weeks, I'll have you. King David had a multitude of important people in his charge. Uh, many were well known, many were well respected, and uh, they were no doubt very popular, many of them, among the people. When we read prior to this list of men, we learn that God had blessed Israel's numbers like the stars of heaven, verse 23. So there was a great need for the king to have these many men and leaders among his people to care for the uh, business and agricultural interests of Israel. So he needed a lot of help because he had a lot of people. And David had placed leaders over almost every aspect of Israel's interest, whether it was financial or whether it was in any other area of the kingdom. 
He placed a man over the king's treasures, over the king's storehouses and fields. He placed someone over those who worked in the fields. He placed a man over the vineyards of Israel. He had someone that, that took care of what those vineyards produced. He placed a man over the olive and the sycamore trees. He had someone that took care of the herds in Sharon. He had someone who took care of the herds in the valleys. He had someone who was in charge of the camels, someone in charge of the donkeys, someone over the flocks. And and those men ruled over almost every single substance, which was King David's, verse 31. And then we come to this other section. We come to a section that we might call the king's inner circle. And he begins to name people. He talks about Jonathan, his counselor. He talks about Jehiel, who was with his sons. Ahithophel was another of his counselors. Hushai was simply his companion. And after Ahithophel, we read about Jehoiada and Abathar. And then, of course, we get to Joab. We all know who Joab was. He was the general over David's armies. Now those were positions of notoriety. Everyone knew those men. Now, all those men were servants of the king. And the king depended on each one of them to do the jobs over which he placed them. But we don't want to talk about all those men who were well known. We're not going to talk this morning about those who could be seen out in the fields taking care of cattle, those who were in charge of the olive trees and the sycamore trees and the herds of every kind. We're not going to talk about those who who their works could be seen among the people. We want to go back to verse 28. And of all the men mentioned in our passage this morning, there is one man who would have likely gone unnoticed to all of Israel had he done his job, of which he did. And the only way he would be noticed probably is if he had not done his job. I want us to turn our attention this morning to a man named Joash. The man David put in charge of the sellers of oil. The sellers where they kept the oil, way down in the dark, dank, musty, wet cellar. Yet he was, in, he was chosen because it was important for those duties to be filled. He was in charge of taking care of the oil. He was in charge of taking care of a piece of commerce that was very important. To Israel. Now, his job was not an attractive job. His job was, was not one that would have outward appearance, yet it was a very important job. And it had to be fulfilled. We learned some, some very needed lesson, lessons about serving in the Lord's church from this man called Joash. I think that if we look at a few of the things that this man did as he served in the administration of King David, along with these other men. I think we can make some good and needed application to our works within the church today. Each person that we read this morning was placed 
in a special service. Each man was a special servant to take care of something that was very special, something that was very needed. And David chose each one of those servants. Now what's the application? God has chosen His servants today. God has chosen the servants who've obeyed the gospel, who've been added to the Lord's church, and He expects them to serve in whatever capacity wherein they find themselves. We are chosen because we elected to answer God's call. Just like these men were chosen because they elected to answer King David's call. They wouldn't have had to have answered the call of service. They could have simply declined the service. Now there might have been some repercussion for that, but they didn't have to do that work. They could have said no. We have to understand that's the same way in the church today, right? Peter warned. He said, 2 Peter 1 verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. We don't have to answer God's call. But God has chosen us if we elect to answer His call. And we are in a special service. Secondly, we're chosen, or each person was chosen, and each one was called by name. Now think about that. Each servant in God's army, in His body, in His church, whatever the many ways it's been described throughout the Bible, God knows the name of every single servant. When we read in the, uh, uh, the account of Christ's life, particularly Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31, we understand that God knows each one of us by name. We're in a special service and He calls each of us by name. Have you noticed that when we read the account of the rich man and Lazarus, we know about Lazarus, we know about Abraham, we know about those people who have given themselves to God. We don't know what the rich man's name was. It's not given to us. We don't know what his brother's names were. Not given to us. God knows, not that He doesn't know the names of these other people, but He knows His servants' names and they're worthy of mention on the very lips of God. He knows those who render service and at the same time, He knows those who do not render the kind of quality that His service demands. The third thing we notice when we look at these men who served in the administration of David, each person served in different capacities. Each person served in different capacities. I don't think as we look at that list of names that there was more than one name in charge of one section. It was one man, one person in charge. And so what that tells us is that God's servants serve in a multitude of capacities. God will never ask us to do anything that is beyond our ability to perform. But here's what He does expect. He does expect us to grow into maturity. And, a, and most of the time, that includes going beyond what we think our limits are. Not everyone's going to be able to do the same things. But we can do something, right? Paul admonished those in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 15. He said, But speaking the truth in love, talking about those Christians, that they may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So he expects every portion of the church, every single piece of uh, the body, every joint that is fitly put together, he expects it to grow into what he needs it to be. We learn that from the way that David dealt with those in his administration. Each person also was placed there by the king. They didn't just join up and say, I want to be part of King David's administration. They didn't fill out a, some kind of a form and ask to be a member. They didn't join anything. King David chose each one of them. King David placed them in his service. That's how we become Christians today, isn't it? We're placed in the service of God through his addition of each person into the church. We don't join the church. That, that terminology is not found anywhere in the Bible. Not only is that terminology not found in the Bible, that mindset is not found in the Bible. That process is not found in the Bible. When we look in Acts chapter 2, we learn that after hearing that sermon that Peter and the other apostles preached, that the response to that is found in verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You move on down a couple other verses, and it says, And those who gladly received His word were baptized. And we learn in verse 47 what that does for us. Adds us to the Lord's church. See, we don't join anything. The king chooses, right? And when he chooses someone, those who elect to answer his call, he puts them where he wants them to be. We don't join anything. We learn that from the way David operated in his administration. We have to understand something else as well. He chose them and he put them somewhere and the church today needs servants just like David needed servants. And we need to use our talents, right? If we're not using our talents, we're missing an opportunity to bring glory to God and edification to the church, Ephesians 4, 10 through 12. Now here's what we need to keep in mind too. We must keep in mind just because one person's talent or talents can be seen of others does not mean those talents that cannot be noticed readily are not just as important. How many people on a daily basis during this time that we read about in First Chronicles thought of Joash, the man in the cellar, the man watching over the oil? They would have thought about him if they went to purchase oil and there was none because someone had broken in and stolen the oil, or he didn't take care of the oil to preserve it properly, they would have thought about him then, wouldn't they? But see, they didn't necessarily think of Joash, but that didn't mean his job was not important. He was called to be a special servant. Now, he wasn't a counselor. He wasn't uh, in charge of the, the nation's agriculture. He wasn't in charge of the nation's armies. But his job was just as important. 
Keeping the oil is important. That's the title of the sermon this morning. Keeping the oil is important. Joash worked in a dark, damp, and lonely cellar. He was down there a lot of the time alone. And we might ask ourselves, well, well, what can Joash teach us about being Christians today? I think Joash can teach us a lot. I think he's a great representative of many in the church today. I think many serve God faithfully in obscurity. I can remember one time on occasion I was doing some research and I was reading about a man who had gone to India and he was doing a mission work in India and a member of the Lord's Church, a gospel preacher, and no one in the, in the world outside of his family, outside of his congregation, and outside of that leper colony where he labored, even knew who this man was, but in, in that leper colony... They had a picture of him on the wall because of his great work for them. They knew who he was. His family knew who he was. The church knew who he was. And most importantly, God knew who he was. But he served in obscurity, much like Joash. But the service provided is absolutely necessary for the survival of the church. Keeping the oil is important. And I want us to notice as we... Look at this idea of keeping the oil. And we try to compare Joash and make some application to our lives today. I want us to notice first the duties of the job. His first duty was to stay. Now someone says, well, that's not much of an obligation. Well, stay there for a while and we'll see how, how, what we think about that, right? His obligation was to stay. Oil was a very important commodity in the Jewish uh, culture of that time. It was used in religious observances. It was used as lamp fuel. It was used uh, uh, in commerce. It was traded back and forth. It was used uh, with medicinal purposes in mind and it was used for cooking. Almost every aspect of the Jewish life, olive oil touched it in some way. It was highly prized and because of its great importance, Joash had to stay in the cellar. He had to keep an eye on it. He had to see what was going on, right? He had to guard what he was doing. And he was privileged. I don't think that's one thing we, we sometimes overlook. Joash was privileged to serve in such an important capacity. You know, not everyone would be cut out for that job, I wouldn't think. He had to be dependable. He had to be dutiful. He had to be someone who would carry out the responsibilities of keeping the oil. And he did it primarily in obscurity. I think that we can learn from the position for which Joash was chosen. I think we have to be faithful in our stewardship. We've been given a job. We've been given a duty by God just as Joash was given. What do you think would have happened if Joash had been a poor steward? Well, first of all, I do not believe that King David would have chosen him for that job if he was unable to perform it properly. But Christians, God demands us to be good stewards. We're to be faithful stewards. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. He said, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Well, faithful to what? To the job over which you've been given. To the person who has given you the job. You're to be faithful 
over the job of being a steward, over whatever that may be, and you're to be faithful to the one who put you in charge. Period. There's no other detail given. No other detail is needed. We are the stewards, Christians, of God's Word. We're to take care of God's Word. We're to make sure that it is, people have access to God's Word. Joash had to take care of the olive oil. He had to make sure the people had access to the olive oil. He was a good steward. Jude demands of us to earnestly contend for the faith, Jude 3. Let's understand what that phrase means. That whole phrase comes from one word. And that one word means to struggle. Faithful stewards are to struggle continually to do a good job, even when it's inconvenient. Even when you're tired of staying, we have to continue to struggle. That means we push through the difficulties to accomplish the goal. I imagine that a long day down in the cellar, all along in the darkness, would get a little rough after a while. But Joash was the man for the job. must have been difficult for him to maintain that position day in and day out over something that was so important. His duties required that he stay in the position. But he was also required to see the oil. Now what do I mean? He had to keep an eye on it. He had to ensure its safety. He had to watch over it. Oil was very expensive. Do you imagine that there were people in the, in the land and even in Israel who would have loved to have gotten their hands on that oil and stolen that oil and used it for their own selfish purposes, whether that was to sell it or to do whatever to it. He had to watch over it. See, he had to safeguard the oil reserves. We need to see today. God has given us some duties. He wants us to stay. He wants us to see. And we need servants in the church who are willing to do that. We need servants who are willing to step up and and guard and protect that over which we have been given stewardship. We have to watch for the thieves of complacency. We have to watch for the thieves of apathy, selfishness, and worldliness. We have to keep an eye out. We have to see. We have to be aware. We need commitment. We need commitment from every single member of the Lord's church to go above and beyond that which they think they can do. Because we can do that. We need to do it in whatever area of service in which we work to maintain that responsibility. Paul encouraged the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He said, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Because that's what it takes. If we're going to stay and we're going to see, we have to be brave and, and we have to be strong. And it's so easy to let our guards down, but we can't do that. You see, when we think of Joash and the application we can make today, he had some duties. He had to stay and he had to see. But don't you know that there were some people around Joash, maybe they were jealous. Maybe they, they were upset that Joash was given a place in the king's administration, and maybe they weren't, and maybe they like to point out to Joab, or Joash rather, the disadvantages of his job. We had some duties. Well, let's notice some disadvantages that, that we might, might come unto or, or come across. What if someone came up to Joash and said, Joash, why do you bother? Why do you 
continue to, to work in that cellar, to watch over that oil when obviously it goes unnoticed. No one even knows your name. Everybody knows who the, who the leader of the army is. Everybody knows General Joab, right? Everybody knows Ahithophel. Everybody knows all these other people. They know Jonathan, the, the counselor, David's uncle. They know him. But you go unnoticed. Joash, you've been given a thankless job. You know, I was told one time that the, the, the greatest cause for preachers to stop preaching is because they feel underappreciated. Well, I guess I can understand that a little bit. I don't think that that's ever bothered me. I've never felt unappreciated or underappreciated, I don't think. But I can understand how being unappreciated can affect someone. See, and that's Satan talking, isn't it? Joash, you've been given a job and no one sees your job. Everybody sees the people out herding the cattle. Everybody sees the people taking care of the, the fields and the, the agriculture. And boy, when we see that army going by and, and Joab is in the lead of that army, we see all those counselors standing around beside the king. And who's Joash? They don't even know your name. You go unnoticed. No one knows who you are. But you know what? That's what Satan wants us to believe, isn't he? Satan's a liar. Never told the truth in his life. The father of lies. But we do what we do for our king, not to be noticed of other people and certainly not to be noticed of Satan. God sees our every effort. And Solomon affirmed for us, Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. John said each person would be judged according to their works, Revelation 20, 12 through 13. And the, and, the, and the Lord Himself is recorded in Revelation 22, verse 12, saying, And behold, I am coming quickly. He said, And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. He knows what we're doing. We're not unnoticed. He knows what the one who matters notices what we're doing. You know, sometimes God's work is inconvenient. Sometimes it is uncomfortable, according to the world. But God expects us to maintain. He expects us to not worry about being unnoticed. And certainly, He doesn't want us to fall for Satan's lie of we are unappreciated. Let me tell you something. Listen closely to what I'm saying. God appreciates the faithful. In fact, when we look at Genesis chapter 6 and, and we think of Noah being in a world full of uh, no telling how many people, one of only eight, do you think he felt a little lonely sometimes? I think maybe the, uh, that's where we feel a little unappreciated at times. We feel lonely. Do you think Noah might have felt lonely? I imagine he did. I imagine he felt lonely. He's out working. He was a preacher. That's what Peter said. He was a preacher of righteousness. He's not just building an ark. He's preaching the message of God and no one wanted to hear it. I imagine he was lonely. He felt unappreciated. But like Joash, Noah continued. We are to continue. We're to keep going. God appreciates us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talked about exactly how much God appreciates the faithful. Notice what he said, Hebrews 13, verse 5. 
He said, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the way it's always been. God has never forsaken His people. He never will. God didn't forsake Joash when he was down in the lonely cellar, and He's not going to forsake us. We're going to feel a little lonely sometimes. We may even feel a little unappreciated at times, but will it not be wonderful when we hear God as Jesus is looking at us and He's saying, Well done, Matthew 25, 21. Like Joash, we have duties. We have to take care to never uh, begin to believe that the difficulties in this life are any reason to stop from fulfilling these duties. But if we fulfill the demands that God has given us, this is our final point, we will be blessed in the end. God has made demands. God demands. He's very demanding, in fact, isn't He? But that's okay. Because God is righteous. The first demand that Joash had was to occupy. Occupy your space, Joash. Take care of your area, Joash. Keep an eye on the materials, Joash. Don't let someone come in and and steal everything we've got. Don't allow the nation to be put in a position of vulnerability. Occupy, Joash. And we're to occupy like Joash. He was to occupy until the king called him and changed his duty or got rid of him, right? He was to occupy. Joash had to keep the oil and stay in the cellar until the king called. Period. He was to occupy. We have to occupy until Jesus returns. Isn't that what the parable of the pounds is all about? Luke 19, 11 through 27. We are to occupy until our job is changed and here it is the job's not going to change the job won't change the job simply ends when the Lord comes back we occupy we remain faithful and then we'll be ushered into heaven the job never ends or never changes it just simply will end and like Joash we can't come out for any reason why? because keeping the oil is important it's important. It's more important than we can even imagine. Joash must have been very similar to Nehemiah. When we read about Nehemiah, Nehemiah 6, particularly verses 1 through 4, we come to a point in Nehemiah's life where he's, he's built the walls back around Jerusalem, but people are not liking it. See, people are trying to cause him some trouble. They're trying to cause distraction so they can come in and cause him a problem. It's recorded for us, Nehemiah 6, beginning with 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it. There were no more breaches in the wall, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates. Nehemiah says that it was at that time that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. I wonder if anyone ever tried to entice Joash to come out of the cellar. Maybe someone 
thought that they might be able to distract Joash and they could go in and relieve the nation of that oil that they had, that prized possession. You see, Satan tries to get us to leave our service to God. And we need to be defined, just like Joash and just like Nehemiah. God demands that we occupy. And if we're going to occupy, He demands that we obey. God demands obedience above anything else in this life. Joash occupied because he had obeyed. See, that's the most important thing. If we leave here with nothing else, let's understand God demands obedience. David was the one who Joash needed to please, not anyone else. He followed the orders of the king, and God is the only person we need to obey. Just keep the oil, right? If we just keep the oil, everything will be okay. God wants obedience. Joash understood that. See, that's something that King Saul never did understand, did he? Maybe he understood it at one time, but he lost that understanding. When we look in 1 Samuel 15, we see how Saul was commanded to go to Amalek, and he was told to destroy every living thing. Men, women, children, livestock, destroy it all. Don't keep anything. But see, Saul didn't do that. He kept Agag. He kept the best of everything. Anything that was good, Saul kept it. And then when Samuel came to him, and he brought that to his attention, and, and those famous words, Saul, are those sheep that I hear? He heard the sheep lowing in the background. He said, there must be a mistake. Are those sheep I hear? And then Saul began to make an excuse. He said, oh, well, I I brought all these wonderful things back because I want to sacrifice. I want to offer a sacrifice to God. But is that what God wanted? Was that God's demand? Was that what God asked in obedience that Saul go down, take the best of the flock, and offer a sacrifice? No. Notice what Samuel said, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God demands obedience. He demands obedience in our lives. He demands obedience in our worship. He demands obedience in every aspect in this world because He has given us the parameters by which to live and He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And He expects us to obey. God expects faithfulness in His servants. You know, there is something very unique about God's servants. They're humble, they're helpful, and they're hopeful. And they learn that from the message that God has given to us. He expects obedience. He expects obedience in obeying the gospel. Look, it's, it's laid out for us, isn't it? All we have to do is follow what, what God has said. He's told us to have a faith in Him because without faith it's impossible to please Him, Hebrews 11, verse 6. He demands repentance, Acts 17, verse 30. He demands all men everywhere to repent, all people throughout the world. If we're not faithful, if they're not faithful, they need to repent of that and turn to God. If they've never obeyed the gospel, repent, turn to God. If you've, if you've obeyed the gospel and you've fallen away, repent and turn to God. 
Repentance is demanded. Confession is demanded. Our faith is built on Christ Jesus. That He is the Son of God. That He came down from heaven. He he dwelt among humanity as a human. He gave His life when He didn't have to. And He returned back to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father in the power position, ruling over His kingdom as we speak. We have to understand that and make that confession. He is the Son of God. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins, Acts 2.38. And then to live faithfully. If, if something happens and we fall from grace, Galatians 5 verse 4, we become unfaithful, we have to repent. Ask God to forgive us, 1 John 1 verses 6 through 9. Ask Him to forgive us and He will. We'll once again be walking in the light. God demands obedience, and we can be obedient. All we have to do is just keep the oil. Keep the oil because it's important, whether anyone notices it or not. If you're subject to this Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.